here's some verses for us to introduce the evening. No man hath seen God at any time, period. That is an axiom and a law of the Bible. No man hath seen God at any time. Then how do we know that we're saved? How do we know that God's with us, walking with us, us and him, and him with us? Because it goes on to tell us in this verse, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. He has taught us love on the inside, and we're bearing it by working it out in loving one another. One, one-on-one love. No man hath seen God at any time. That's a dangerous fact. If we don't have some evidence that God's with us, and we do have evidence that God's with us and in us, and it's right here in this verse, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us when we love one another. The next verse, hereby know we that we dwell in him. We dwell in God, the God that no man has ever seen. We dwell in him, and this God that no man has ever seen dwells in us. How do we know that? Because he hath given us of his spirit. As I did with the group that was here before supper, I thought it was because we love one another. Or is it because he has given us of his spirit? Or it's because we love one another? Or it's because he's given us of his spirit? It's both. It's both. He's given us his spirit that bears the fruit of love. And because of that love, we love one another. And because of loving one another, we show the character of God inside us because God is inside us by his Holy Spirit. Those who are truly saved will love others by his spirit. Loving others the way God expects, and that's the only love that matters, it's the only love that counts for what we're talking about right now, is by his mighty power in us, which is the Holy Spirit. So two things tonight, the Holy Spirit and love. Love and the Holy Spirit, because God is love and God bears his love and perfects it in us as we love one another, and he does it by indwelling us. And it's a tremendous gift purchased by Jesus Christ and given only to New Testament saints. And we're very blessed. We want to pray for more of him. The Lord convicted me on Sunday as soon as I left here by some of the great questions that were asked about wanting to know more about the gift of the Holy Ghost, especially in the different administrations and levels of comfort and strength and instruction that he gives us, like we saw in the book of Ephesians. So I went home and began immediately, but it It's a little larger than a Wednesday night study. And the Lord, by his ordinary and and usual methods with me, has led me to try to do two things tonight. And one is to deal with love connected to that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God himself with us. And then for us to pray as a church before we leave for him to grant more of his presence with us. These are two of the greatest subjects of the Bible. Reviving romance. Here we go. You say, "Uh uh-oh, it's on marriage. It's on love. (laughs) Having a marriage to please God and excite everyone else. And everyone else means everyone else but God. It should excite you. It should excite your spouse, your children, the whole church, if you have a marriage that pleases God. Why, pastor, are we getting this again since 15 months ago you preached first works work since six months ago you preached the rules of marriage? Neither the church nor you can prosper without love. 
Some of you are getting away for such a revival. Paul and Dawn are going to be away this coming weekend. Bryant and Catherine are going to be away this coming weekend. Some others of you are planning on going away. So I thought I'd give you a little shot in the arm as you left. Charlie and Gail were recently gone. The Holy Spirit is grieved with less than the best in our marriages. The Bible tells us that. It calls it treachery and tears at his altar in Malachi chapter 2. It calls it prayers being hindered in 1 Peter chapter 3. Marital coldness or marital strife is foolish, it's sinful, it's hurtful. Why are you hurting yourself? God invented marriage. God wrote the manual for marriage. God wants you to be exquisitely, obsessively happy in your marriage. Marriage is a partnership, a partnership of duty that you both do your respective roles in a household or family is ridiculous. God expects, planned and designed, much more than that. Marital romance is God's best for you in your life. That's why I'm doing it. Here we go. 1 John 4, 7. Let's see if there's a Bible basis for it. Because I'm supposed to preach the word. Beloved, God speaking to you through John and your pastor. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. That's where it comes from. It doesn't come from human nature. It doesn't come from the devil. It doesn't come from the world. It comes from God. And everyone that loveth is born of God. Now, we use this verse often because we're often trying to prove that regeneration comes before faith and regeneration comes before love because of verses like this. But that is not my point tonight. My point is love is of God because God is love. And let us love one another, for love is of God. So when we're loving one another, we're doing a God thing from the inside out. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. We can prove that we know God, and we can know that we know God. We can assure our hearts that we truly know God by loving one another. He that loveth not, now if you don't do this tonight, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And if you don't love, then you're showing a disconnect between God and you. No man hath seen God at any time. Is this the third time I've been over this verse tonight? I hope there's four. No man hath seen God at any time. That is a terrible statement. If there isn't more. But there's more. If, though we've never seen God at any time, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us. God dwelleth in us. How do we know that? If we love one another. And his love is perfected in us. That's what he wants to bring out. Our love of God, our love of one another. And there's one other that you ought to be loving more than the rest. Okay. Hereby know we that we dwell in him. We can know something. We can, hereby know we that we dwell in him, that is God, and God in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. These two verses are joined together in the Bible. 1 John 4.12, 1 John 4.13. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. We know that he dwells in us because he's given us of his spirit. That's because the Holy Spirit bears love mightily and powerfully in us to be different than we are by nature and to be like God because the Holy Spirit is God working out his love in us and his love is perfected when we love one another. Because by nature we're all hateful and hating. 
one another. What kind of a person asks, who is my brother? A lawyer. We don't like lawyers. Because it's a lawyer trying to excuse himself from the commandment, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so a lawyer asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who would ask, who is my brother? Cain. Yes, a murderer. Okay. Thank you for crawling out that limb a little farther while I light up my chainsaw. My Bible chainsaw. Let's start with the closest and dearest brother you have. The closest and dearest brother you have, okay? Does that sound fair? We'll make it easy tonight. The closest and dearest brother that you have, since by loving your brother and loving the brethren, you show that God dwells in you, you dwell in God, and his love is perfected in you. And it proves that you have the Holy Spirit of the living God in you. Your spouse. Who's the closest and dearest brother you have? Your spouse. Doesn't the Bible call marriage leading about a sister? It sure does. Because we're brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoso hath this... Let's read some more from John. This is jumping back to 1 John 3.17. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need... Don't think about marriage yet. Think about what the verse is saying. Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? If you've got stuff, and someone else doesn't have stuff, and you didn't give them some of your stuff so that they can have some stuff, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Now let's think about marriage. Whoso hath this world's good, do you have in you the capability and the potential of being everything that your spouse desires and needs? Do you have this world's good? Can you love them, serve them, dote on them, help them, cheer them, comfort them, make love with them? Whoso hath this world's good and seeth his spouse have need, knowing that they have a need, and you know this happens. Brethren, you know this happens. You know we do this because we're selfish at times. And, and we resort to the old man and we see, we know that our spouse has needs. We know that they may be different than the things we need, but we shut up our bowels of compassion from our spouse. We ought to have bowels for our spouse. We ought to be moved to want to dote on them and do for them what they desire and dream of. How dwelleth the love of God in him? Because I'm trying to bring it down to just one person, not the whole church, not loving the brethren, loving your spouse. My little children, this is the next verse, let us not love in word, don't, don't tell them that you love them. Don't tell us that you love them. Don't let it be just this tongue, unless it's kissing. But indeed and in truth. Indeed and in truth. My little children, let's make sure this love of God working himself out through us is indeed, and it's in truth. It's, it's the way God wants us to love them, and it's in action. It's in action. And hereby... Hereby, doing this, not withholding our bowels, but giving to our spouse, we know that we are of the truth. See, it's not that we believe in election. 
The devils believe in election. It's not that we believe in a sovereign God. The devils believe in a sovereign God. It's not that we believe in regeneration before faith. The devils believe that. This is what assures us that we are of the truth. I am so sick of hearing people say about worldly carnal Christians at the very best, but most likely reprobates, they believe the truth. Do you know what they mean? A little modicum of truth in the Bible, but not this. This is what the Bible says assures us, and hereby we know that we are of the truth, and we can assure our hearts before him. Do you want greater assurance of eternal life? Then love your spouse. Are you able to see that love is the measure of your life by his spirit? Can you see that from 1 John chapters 3 and 4? And it's in 5, but I cut my verses down a little Let's start with marital love. Marital love, which is loving another, which is loving a brother, which is loving a sister, is the evidence that we're gods. To the degree that you are selfish, lazy, proud, vengeful, unmerciful, unforgiving, you do not know God because God is love and God does not do those things and God does not do those things toward you or me. I've been married for 40 years. I know everything that, I know everything that I'm saying to you and what I'm talking about. I've lived both ways, selfishly and selflessly. Which do you think I've lived more? I'll go ahead and tell you. You know, selfishly. Lord, forgive me. Ecclesiastes 9.9, live joyfully. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest. Don't live coldly. Don't live coolly. Don't live cold war. Don't live partnership. Live joyfully. With the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun, while we're down here on earth, all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life, and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Yes, I've preached this verse before. Can we do better at it? Yes, we can. Let her, let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe, little pet deer. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. Don't be looking at porn. Don't be looking at anyone else. Don't be thinking of anything different. Be thou ravished always with her love. Okay, that's, that was two for the men, now two for the women. Song of Solomon 2.5. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. I am lovesick. It is a choice to be lovesick. It is not a function of your spouse. It is a choice to be lovesick. Paul said... I will spend and be spent for you. Though the more I love you, the less I be loved. He was lovesick for the churches and for the Corinth. Here's another one for the women. My beloved, she is speaking about her husband. My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door and my bowels were moved for him. If your bowels are no longer moved for your spouse, it's your fault because you've decided to tighten them up and bind them up and withhold from them feeling towards your spouse. You took it away. No one else can take it away. No, they cannot. It is a choice to have bowels. Do you know verb moods? A verb mood tells the way in which a statement is made in the Bible or, or, or verbs are being used. Indicative mood means it's a fact that's being stated. Imperative, an order to do something. Subjunctive is doubtful. It's a, it's a statement that's doubtful. If this happens, I'll do that. You know, that's doubtful because you don't know if the if is going to be performed or not. It's, it's irrelevant because I don't care about subjunctive. 
Indicative is a fact being stated, and imperative is an order to do something. The verses to the men are imperative mood. Live joyfully. That is an order. Let her. Proverbs 5.19, that's an order. Let her. That's the second clause. Let her breast. That's an order. Be thou. That's an order. God commands us to love our spouses. You know there's a, many other verses I could use. I'm trying to simplify it tonight a little bit. The verses to the women are in the indicative mood, meaning it's describing a fact about that relationship that is described in the Song of Solomon. A perfect wife has bowels that move. A perfect wife gets lovesick because she chooses to be by giving herself to her spouse without expectations, without reservations, without bitterness, with total forgiveness. Otherwise, you don't know God. Because God does that. And that's what the Holy Spirit does through us. Here's how the Song of Solomon describes love. Set me as a seal upon thine heart. This is powerful language. Set me. I remember reading it. Or quoting it at your, at your wedding, Matthew and Gloria. Set me as a seal. Was that 1990? Thank you. Think about these words. These words are describing the love that God designed, planned, intended, commanded, and, and details for us in the Bible between a husband and a wife. Set me. Are you all mine? I'm all yours. Set me as a seal upon thine heart. It's a choice. It's a request. Between two people. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. Wear a band for me. We wear, we wear little rings on our finger. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. That's how powerful love is and should be. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. That's the, that's the God of heaven describing marital love. I think it's pretty beautiful. I think it's better than Whitney Houston's The Greatest Love of All, which is love of self, which is pagan, blasphemous, contrary to Christianity. The second verse, many waters cannot quench love. You know, this, this verse said, the coals of love thereof are coals of fire, and it has a vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Well, what's quenched it in your marriage? Waters cannot quench love. Circumstances? Are you kidding? Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. Can't buy my love? Can't buy love? I'm glad that nobody is even nodding their heads at remembering that song. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give... All the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. That's how God describes a marriage. True marital love. Let's go really, I got to go really fast. Please understand. You can go back and look at these slides. I'll post them. Here's just a few thoughts about working. The Holy Spirit should be in us if we're born again, believing, baptized Christians. That Holy Spirit is the presence of God himself. God is love. Love is of God. And it should be bearing love toward a spouse. And these are just a few thoughts 
about how we get that out and actually bestow it on our spouse. True marital love, number one, is complimentary, not critical, like you were always when dating. You, you know, before you had her, <laughs> I want to tell you what C word came out. Compliments. Then you marry her, and then it's critical. What happened? Please tell me. I'll tell you what happened, men. You are trying to be the odious woman. Because Proverbs 30 says, the odious woman when she is married. Because you got married, now you had her. Now you had her every night. You can start criticizing her. It is wicked. By them saying yes, there should be more compliments than trying to get them to say yes. Lord, from our heart toward our spouse, why would we criticize them? Don't say anything to me about, especially my kids. Lord, forgive me. Sherry, forgive me. I want us all to bear more fruit of love by the Holy Spirit. Number two, number two, flush all bitterness, for it is a wicked lack of total forgiveness. Let's just boil bitterness down to what it is. You will not forgive your spouse. Flush it, all of it, flush it. You don't need them to apologize for anything. They don't need to. You should flush it and forgive them. It is a wicked lack of forgiveness. Number three, vulnerable. You need to be vulnerable to your spouse without any walls for protection. Don't put up walls. Walls are a hindrance to love. Vulnerability. Well, if I put myself out out there again, I could be hurt. How? Because you're measuring everything by how your spouse responds? Measured by how God responds. It's the proof of your eternal life. It's the proof you have the Holy Spirit in you. It's the proof that God dwelleth in you. You dwell in God, and you are of the truth. And God's going to reward you as soon as you see him. And it likely will bear fruit if you'll just keep it up. But if after 18 hours or 36 hours, you give up because your spouse didn't hire some band to meet you in the driveway, you have a problem. Be vulnerable to your spouse without any walls for protection. Because real love does not look for protection. I will spend and be spent for you. Though the more I love you, the less I be loved. That is Paul, who was a sinner like us, but God the Holy Spirit worked through him like he should through us. Four, invest in the other as they desire or dream. You should know some of the desires or dreams of the opposite sex, and you should know some of the desires or dreams of your spouse. And without expectations, invest in them. That's love. Do I need to quote Paul again? I'm not going to. Because he's a great example. Because he wasn't Jesus Christ. He wasn't sinless. But he had the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through him toward Corinth. Number five, your spouse is a priority that exceeds all other duties or persons in your life. Your children do not come close. Your mother doesn't come close. Your in-laws don't come close. Your relatives don't come close. Your friends don't come close. Your spouse is a priority that exceeds all other duties or persons. Don't ever break that. God said it from the beginning to the end. He picked the marriage relationship for Christ and the church. Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3. It's a husband and a wife. There's nobody else. There's no parents. There's no children. Because that's the relationship of life. Number six, 
True love, true marital love does not settle for the status quo or simply the end of hostilities. It goes for much more than that. That is not good enough. That is not a good marriage. That is not a God-pleasing marriage. Just to have the status quo, we get along, we do our duties, we fulfill our roles, we're not hostile with each other, the strife has ended. No, let's go way beyond that. The excitement of the chase. You know, the excitement of the chase and the excitement of the conquest is, is you pursuing, not you being pursued. You lustful infant. You are an emotional infant if you want someone to pursue you. That isn't love. That's lust. Why don't you give that? The excitement of the chase, the excitement of the conquest, yes, and the excitement of the consummation, is you pursuing her or him, not the other way around. But there's babies, there's infants, there's spoiled people who out of bad habits and bad parenting have come into life thinking that marriage is getting, marriage is giving, marriage is chasing, marriage is pursuing, marriage is pleasing someone else. That's real love. That's love that the Holy Spirit teaches. Sacrificial, selfless desire to improve another person and to please them. Love is always and only a choice. Love, what I'm describing, is, is a choice that those with the Spirit make. If you have the Holy Spirit, you make this choice, and this is how you treat your spouse. True marital love is what you did the first time to get your spouse and would do again to remarry. You know exactly what to do. There's two proofs in your life. Number one is you've already done it to get your spouse. Number two, you would do it again without any lessons on getting another spouse. But then, due to human nature and your nature, after you got that second spouse, you would become critical again, you would become odious again, because you had them. But to win them, you would know exactly what to do. But to win them is called the first works, and it's what we should be giving the spouse we already have. True marital love is not pride. What happens that you don't show marital love is pride, There's only five. I couldn't think of more than five. Selfishness, laziness, bitterness, or revenge that withholds your bowels. Which one of these five or which, how many of these five cause you to withhold love from your spouse, the Bible kind of love that many waters cannot quench, that's a vehement flame? Pride, selfish, lazy, bitter, vengeful. Why aren't you perfecting the love of God? By flushing all those. True marital love is what a man does for a mistress who is nothing compared to a wife. Dotes on her with gifts, keeps her up, flatters her, compliments her, lots of time and attention, very attentive to her. You know, if you don't know anything about how a man would treat a mistress, then forget number 11. But if you do, that's what you ought to be doing towards your wife. She's done a whole lot more for you than any mistress. True marital love, number 12, does not let marriage become so familiar to breed odiousness. Familiarity breeds contempt, some have said. Well, it doesn't become familiar to breed odiousness. We never want it to get old and stale like that. True marital love, the secret service man. Secret service men will take a bullet for a man that does not know them does not talk to them, and doesn't do anything for them except pay them somewhere around minimum wage. I mean professional minimum wage. 
why, why can't we be willing to do a little less than take a bullet? Any wife in here had their husband ask them recently to take a bullet for them? Well, I thought he was going to shoot it himself. Uh, I don't believe that. Secret service men will take a bullet for a man that doesn't know them. We pick someone to live with that would be our, that would, and to be our spouse, and they know us, and they do lots for us. Every single marriage in here, our spouses do a lot for us. Can we do something less than taking a bullet? Of course we can. That's true marital love. Number 14, true marital love knows that any alternative to what I'm saying is sin. There is no alternative to what I'm saying. You don't have a better idea. You don't know how to protect yourself and maximize life. Only God does. And he wrote it for us in the Bible. True marital love knows that any alternative is sin, and it brings emptiness, it brings loneliness, it brings pain. It's terribly dysfunctional to do it any other way than what God said. Trust and obey. It's the only way to be happy in Jesus. Number 15, a day tomorrow, going to bed tonight. Ladies, men, a day is not a burden or a chore. A day is a privilege and an opportunity. Why are you looking at it like an infant? Grow up. Embrace God. He's in you. There's power for living and power for victorious, glad, joyful, happy living. True love is consistent. It is consistent. It is the same rather than moody or ruled by emotions. You're emotionally immature if you can't rule your spirit. There's no other excuse for it. We have to be consistent. We have to be the same. Rather than moody or ruled by emotions, that's a child. Let's grow up and love each other the way the Lord wants us to. True marital love is desperate. It'll do anything to be with the other person and to love them. It's diligent about it. It's eager. It's excited. It's creative to please a spouse. Are you desperate, diligent, eager, excited, and creative? What's wrong? What's happened? You were once. Oh, yes, you were. Number 18, true marital love is doting, ravishing, reverential, sexual, sacrificial, and obsessed. Absolutely obsessed is an appropriate word to put there. If you've read the Song of Solomon, it's obsession. True marital love, efforts by your spouse are noticed. Here's a little bit for the other side, for everyone that's listening. I'm talking to the other side now. Efforts by your spouse should be noticed. They should be appreciated, praised, and returned. Now, what if, what if a couple in here, to the surprise of their pastor and the joy of the Lord, were to both do what I'm talking about tonight? Flushing every negative thing, laying themselves bare, and taking all vulnerability and doting and loving their spouse. What a wonderful thing it could be. True marital love, expectations and reservations will deny you love's feelings. There are feelings in love, but to the degree that you base it on expectations and to the degree you base it on reservations and fear, you deny yourself love. So you don't ever get to have the pleasure of it because the pleasure of it takes the risk and takes the fear. First works work. You know how you used to care about what you looked like all the time? First works work. This is what you used to do before you got married. Complimented all the time. 
She, the, other, the, spouse was a, the other person was a priority. You gave gifts. They, you had as much time, they had as much time as they wanted. You were patient with them. You forgave them. You were creative in the way you expressed your love and showed it. You would bear almost any expense. You were attentive to them. You compromised willingly to please them. You doted on them. You were eager. You had bowels of compassion and love for them. You were passionate and intense about it. You pursued them. You were obsessed just the way you should be. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit that bears real love in us. That's how we started. So it's time to switch tracks just a little. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit that bears real love in us. 